Salam and hello. Welcome to Uproot. My name is Lily Bakala Piper and I am so glad that you tuned in today. Today on the show, we continue in our series of topics on why Black Lives Matter. And today, we're discussing why in particular, Black journalism matters. 2020 has been a year of extraordinary headlines, just one after another. And as we consume stories about the pandemic, our police brutality, the economy, our communities, I think it's really important to think about who is telling these stories and what perspectives are elevated to the headlines. Today, I'm excited to share with you an interview with award-winning Kenyan journalist and filmmaker Elijah Kanyi. Elijah is the 2017 and 2019 Annual Journalism Excellence Awards Journalist of the Year. He's an acclaimed investigative reporter with Africa Uncensored, and he's the founder of Saudi TV, a mentoring program for young journalists. Elijah was born and bred in Mathare, one of Nairobi's poorest neighborhoods, and he considers himself a voice for his community. He's been reporting on inequity in health, education, and policing in Kenya, and his recent story for the BBC entitled The Bullet and the Virus was an absolutely brilliant piece of reporting that exposed the unjust treatment of the poor in Kenya's slums during the pandemic. And yes, I said slum. I struggle to use that word, but in this interview, Elijah schools me on why word choice matters, the importance of representation in journalism, and ultimately, in this historic moment, why Black journalism matters so very much. It's my pleasure to welcome Elijah Kanye to Uproot. Enjoy. So Elijah, welcome to Uproot. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, let me just ask you first, before I get into my questions, just how are you doing in the middle of this pandemic and you know, political activism that's happening in our communities. How are you? How is your family? My family is doing well, uh, despite the girls uh, have two daughters. Yes. They, had, uh, they were bored the first one week, and then they got used to it. it became, <laughs> they, they got used to the situation, yeah. and then they came to realize there was something that is called COVID-19, mm. and they had to accept yeah, yeah. So it was a bit uh, difficult to explain to them that we can't go for a walk or anything. Well, I live in Italy, so okay. everything was, when it was locked, no one could go out or inside. Right. So we had to stay indoors. For them, at least for me, I had a press card. I could go anywhere. Yeah. But, but, there, but there's, maybe you can get junior, junior press cards or something for them. They can uh, assist <laughs> <laughs> on your stories. So that's a good place to start. Actually, tell me, Elijah, you know, I came to know of your work really recently when you put out the very powerful story, The Bullet and the Virus, and um, it was incredibly moving. And I want to start by just thanking you for your commitment to telling an honest and authentic story, both about your community, but also about our country. So thank you. Let me start with my appreciation. Um, what, what inspired you or motivated you to become a journalist? Uh, my society. Mm. Uh, I was born in Madare. I was brought up in Madare. Everything that I would read here, and uh, mostly from the news segment, they were all negative stories. But there was a reason behind it. But most of the time, they will not get... Uh, the right story, they will miss something and that will frustrate me. So I was like, 
what if I join this field? Because most of the people who come to tell our stories, they're from outside. I live here. Maybe I can be mm. able to tell exactly what is happening without editing or uh, uh, hiding anything. Yeah. So, and that's how, that, so my society motivated me to be a journalist. So, so what were those things that you felt like they were getting wrong? What were the things that they were not sharing about Madare, about the broader community that you wanted to make sure were told? What were those stories? Uh, houses will get burned down. No mm-hmm. one will come to film that. And if they come, they won't give the correct number of the number of houses that were burnt down. And those were the things that I used to see when I was young. By then, I had no plans to join journalism or anything. My dream was to be a professional footballer. Uh-huh. That was my dream. But okay. I had to kill that dream because things were not working as I wished for. Mm. And uh, the moment I started uh, dreaming now of being a journalist, I, I had to push for it and I had to work hard towards that because it's a, it's a big field. And for you yeah. to be known well in that field, you have to push yourself extra. So my story were mostly action stories. They were not aftermath. Most of the time they will come to do stories. They will come to see when things have already happened. So because I live here, if I get anything, it will be more action. It didn't matter the quality of the stuff that I had yeah. because the camera that I was using, it was a, a camcorder those birthday small cameras when I started. But that's a, that's a vintage camera nowadays. Nowadays, that's a <laughs> antique almost. Let, let me ask you, you know, you, I saw on your Twitter handle, for example, you, you're the last part of your Twitter handle after your accolades of being journalist of the year for the annual journalism excellence awards here in Kenya. You were a journalist of the year in 2017 with some of your colleagues and again in 2019. But at the end of all of your accolades, you end with, the hashtag made in Mathare. Why is it important for you to continue to include Mathare as a part of your bio or as a part of who you are as a journalist? Uh, you see, uh, when I was young, even if uh, most of the time we'll go out, maybe in the city center uh, with my friends, and mm-hmm. no one will recog- will accept to mingle with people from Mathare. It was seen as one of the dangerous places. It was seen as one of those places people are forgotten. It's a place like no one should live there, but we are from there. So every time we'll go to the city center and you maybe want to say hi to a lady or uh, someone mm-hmm. who you feel like you, uh, you admire, uh, it will be difficult to, ex- to, to say uh, you come from Madari. You'll either say you're from Air Force and it's a lie, or you say you're from Huruma. But yeah. all these were happening because we didn't have people by then uh, liking their community, believing their society. So we've changed that with my generation. We've changed that perception of whereby people see our society as a bad place. But here we are preaching the good gospel of this is a place where you can still make it no matter the situation on the ground. Mm. That's, how, that's why we keep on saying everything that we do we are the fruits of our society. That's really powerful. Let's, let's talk more about your society. You know, in your recent piece, The Bullet and the Virus, you start out really capturing Madari. You show us a bit of the community, how the housings are structured. You really focus the story there, but then you also have this broader point to make about how people are treated in Kenya, and in particular, how the poor are treated in Kenya. 
What was your goal in that piece? What did you want us to either understand or what was the call to action that you wanted us to respond to for those, for those of us like me in the audience who are just listening and learning maybe about Madare in a different way? Uh, I, I wanted people to know firstly and mostly like I, I was born there. I've seen everything that people read out there. I've gone through that system and it's a system that needs to be fixed. And I also wanted the people of the society to understand that if we can get someone from that place, that place can even be better rather than getting leaders from outside. Even in, in the documentary, almost there, there is a place where they show my campaign. Right. I campaign because of the, that feeling of knowing that there is no one who has ever been born in Madare, who has ever been a, a member of parliament. No one has, was born there. All of them, they come from outside. And it's because they, they don't see us people like who can be leaders. But it's us. We are the problem. If we can vote for one of us, no, it doesn't have to be me. Anyone who was born there and has good qualities of leadership and has the society's heart in him, then we can change our society. So whatever I was showing is that every time we see stories from the slum, we should not think in a negative way. Most of the people, mm. sometimes they used to feel bad when you show the negative part of the slum. Right. But I came to realize it's an issue that needs to be discussed. It's an issue that needs to be told so that we can get a solution for it. Let me ask you, you know, just even I'm hearing you use the term slum. And as, as myself, also one of your fellow journalists, I, I don't use that term. I always say informal settlement. Is that an attempt on my end to whitewash or to, I don't know, change the terminology? What, what terms are you more comfortable in that you think are authentic to the stories that we should tell or the stories you want to tell about your community? Uh, let me ask you mostly mm. uh, first. Uh, before non-formal settlement, what were you using? Before informal settlement, uh, yeah, probably slum. Probably slum, yeah. yeah. So these are NGOs terms which are coming up. So whatever mm. we use and it refers to the right uh, situation, Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. As long we are doing it for the right reason, that's yeah. fine with me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I appreciate that because I think sometimes we get stuck up on the name, the terminology more than we do maybe even the problem itself. It's, 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 it's the same with how UN does their things. They normally focus on something for a certain decade. Even without achieving yeah. that goal, the following decade, they will bring another one. Look at the SDGs <laughs> goals. They keep on changing and nothing changes on the ground. So even if we call it slum, we call it non-formal settlement. <laughs> what, yeah. what, are we, what is the difference between slum and non-formal settlement? What right. did we do to change that name from the slum? I wish like uh, the way Kibaki was trying, whatever Kibaki was trying to do, the, uh, the housing project, mm. that was a brilliant idea. If you do that and you come and tell me to change that name from what it used to be because the infrastructure has changed, I will agree. But if it's still the same and they're giving me a different name to just nice. show that you care, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah, that's a point well taken. I, I want to talk a little bit more about your political activism. You know, the, re the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I'm doing this series about why Black Lives Matter, but also wanting to focus on different parts of our experience. And I'm calling this episode tentatively Black Journalism Matters. 
But when I look at your career, your journalism seems to be hand in hand with your activism and with your citizenship. So tell us a little bit more about, you said, you know, you wanted to run for MP because nobody was from Mazare. Had you been elected, had that opportunity been presented, do you think you would have left journalism to focus on that? How do you think, you know, that might have affected your work as a storyteller? Uh, I would have focused on the work given to me mm. by then. Uh, if I was elected to be a member of parliament, I'll be working now for the people of Madari. So yeah. I'll make sure I listen to them. Uh, we know our problem. So whatever I suggest is not the final, but whatever we agree on working on, that's what we do. Yeah. So most of the time you get leaders, but they come with their own plans. They don't go and listen to the people on the ground. So, for example, if you come to a society, the, most, the first thing that people keep on talking of is they want to build toilets. But if you come there and you talk to people, they will give you different stories. They, it's not only the toilet. You could come with an idea of having a toilet, but we can talk about, we can discuss on what can we include on mm. also apart from the toilet, you know. Yeah. So these are some of the things that people get wrong. And it's only because they, they, they don't consult and they don't, it's not like an open book where you come, we sit down and we write together. Right. You come with a book that is already written. Mm. So to me, if I was elected, I will approach it in a different way, whereby you don't do it for them, you, you do it together. So will you run again? Ah, that's a tough one. I, <laughs> it's... it's it's one of the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. What, what was hard about it? What it's was hard tough. about it? Uh, the, the most difficult part is that even your best friends or the closest friends, some won't believe in you because you come from the same society. Mm. That's the biggest mistake. People need to accept you first from home and then the rest can do the same. Yeah. yeah. And corruption, money, it's not about who you are it's about what you have in your account yeah it's it's you're right i don't think we're a free society yet because there's still barriers to even participating in democracy or participating in governance because of money yeah it's it's uh, it's it's sad that we've come to a level whereby even doing cleanups you have to be paid to do those cleanups but yeah. during our time when we were growing up in the slum we'll do those cleanups for free and we'll be having fun doing them every hmm. twice or once in a month. But right now, if you want to do it, it's all you have to speak in your language. So yeah. same with politics. It's becoming more and more expensive. And they're doing that reason because there are certain names behind all this party mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. political gains. So they have made it their own by making it very expensive for anyone else to join the game. Yeah. So... So let me ask you, what, what do you think has changed? Have, has our society changed? Have circumstances changed? What has shifted from, like you said, when you were a child and there was a sense of, this is my community, this is what we do, to now where there's an expectation of you know, compensation or a return? What, what do you think has either created that change or what is the difference? Uh, the, the first thing I would like to say is uh, we've created that belief that you can make it even if you're born from there. You can mm. be whatever you want to be, no matter who you are. And that's, that's, to me, that's something that I, I feel proud of. 
that someone will, can walk out there and you ask them, where are you from? And they'll say proudly, I come from Madari without fear. Yeah. So the fear that we had earlier, we've stood against it and we've won that part. So there is this other part of development, structural, uh, housing, social issues uh, there that need to be tackled on. And this can only happen through uh, firm leadership with good leadership, with politician understanding the people's need. There are things right. that we can do as people who are born there, but we can't, there, there is, we can't do everything. Right. So let, let's talk a little bit more. You know, it seems so much that your political activism really does go hand in hand with your work as a journalist. You know, when that March hit and the pandemic started to just change all of our lives, I think all of us thought that 2020 would be the year of coronavirus. But then in May, now the world's attention is around racial justice. And in, uh, in Madari, Madari as a community, I know has a history of being politically engaged. As you look at these stories, the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, how do you see those coming to bear in our Kenyan context? What's the link there? Uh, when I look at what is happening in the U.S. Uh, through COVID, every, everything that we are happening now, it's more, it's, it's, it's having that publicity because also of COVID. COVID has come to like expose things. COVID have come to show us that we are all equal in this life. Look at it this way. Uh, African politicians, uh, especially African leaders, when they get sick, right. before COVID, they will dash outside to get treatment. Right now, they can't go there. Are they going to learn something to be able to, to know, to understand that life, it's about where you are. Life is about fixing whatever it's in, in front of you and not just thinking about your selfish reasons. Because for them, uh, for a very long time, they've been thinking of uh, gaining more and putting it to yourself rather than focusing on everyone. We are in a moment whereby no matter who you are, either rich or poor, we are in the same boat. We have this monster facing us. Yes. That we need to understand that life needs to be lived equally. So mm -hmm. if you get COVID, it doesn't matter which hospital you're taking to. You'll receive the same treatment with the poor guy who will get COVID as well. Right. So what, what stops us from having equality in each and every place? Look at the, if you look at the way police are behaving in America, it's the same way they behave here in Kenya. But because America has uh, uh, vocal mainstream uh, uh, journalism, which say things as they are, with the COVID, that's why we heard about uh, Floyd. Right. But there are many things that happens there. So it's the same here. We have cops who kill young people. But uh, after the death of Yasin, people are now trying to... to to face things as they are. People now want to follow things all the way to the end. People don't want just to hear that the cop were, was prosecuted. People want to see uh, things all the way to the end. People don't want just to, to hear the news. Mm -hmm. So after that, what next? Yeah. So these are things that we are getting to see uh, in a more diverse way, and it's because of COVID. 
So things will happen to America. We'll hear them because it will just uh, be talked about and pushed and people will demonstrate about them so that something can happen. People demonstrate there in a bigger way. People in Madare, things will happen. They will demonstrate in a small way. No one will show that. No one will focus on that. So it's just a matter of where you are and how you're treated. So in America, they're treated in a bad way. The same way, even here, yeah. we're treated yeah, yeah, in a yeah. bad way. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you frame it that way because in your recent story, you, the bullet and the virus, again, uh, you, you really focus on that. You talk to Yasin Moyo's family. It was heartbreaking to see their grief. You know, this young, young boy, uh, I think he was 13 at the time, so like life had not even begun and to be killed by the police as a result of the pandemic it, it is like you said it's these two things has shown the inequality um uh, and so i guess when you put a story like that out what do you hope will change elijah what do you want to come as a result of your reporting i i i, I want people especially those who misuse power to understand that they they were not born in that power. And one day they will not be in the same position they are today, 10 to 20 years from now. Mm. How will they want to be treated? Look at the way the police were behaving. They were behaving as if they are untouchable. And that's wrong. Someone should not be late and you beat them up. You should be escorting them to go home and letting them know that next time if we get you outside, you'll face some consequences. But beating them and uh, an incident of like that of Yasin, that's, that's not something that you can say you will, you will correct. That's done and dusted. But yeah. what, what will happen to the family? They want to see justice. Will you try to protect them? It's wrong when the junior officers make a mistake and the senior officer try to protect them. That, loses, that makes things even worse because you show the people that these people who are protecting you, they're also protected by their bosses. So mm-hmm. whenever they make a mistake, they won't even be scared because they know someone will come on TV and he'll protect me. Mm-hmm. But if you do that mistake and you accept you've done wrong and your boss come and tells you that's wrong and they take action against you, even the one behind you will be able to understand, I need to behave as a human being. I don't need to take my humanity out of whatever I'm doing yeah. because I'm a cop. And these are some of just simple things that we need to fix and everything will be fine. But if we keep on behaving the way we are behaving, things will keep on getting harder and worse. Yeah. That, let me ask you, so, you know, you've said, you know, one target audience for your reporting are policymakers, politicians, the police. We know that Nairobi in recent data shows us that over half of Nairobi's population, two million plus people live in slums. So then a good bit of your audience, Elijah, are people who don't live in slums, people like me, (laughs) who live in our estates, who are middle class and above. What is your message to those of us here, outside of those, outside of Madari, outside of these communities where so many of our neighbors live? Uh, We we need to understand one thing. If we, the more we keep quiet for the poor to be humiliated, will also one day be targeted. So mm-hmm. one day it will be there. It will happen there. Mm-hmm. What will you guys do? The people who are in the middle class, will they go to the street? Will the poor join them? 
are the ones in the middle class joining the poor when they go to the street. They don't. So we leave uh, the gap between the rich and the poor is even worse here because most of the people don't want to help the poor, especially the rich. Whenever they see something happening to the poor, they're like, ah, mm-hmm. we will sort it out or that's for, for their own, they're in, on their own. And that's what makes it even worse when it's come to voting because we tend to believe that we are very smart, but every time we, when we go to vote, especially when it comes to that uh, level where you have to vote equally, you, you are from the posh side and uh, from the poor side, but we vote for the same governor. So whatever you, whoever you vote for, and we are not on the same board, it won't make a difference because we are, in the, we are not on the same line. But if we could be helping each other to fix the country, especially from the ground level, that's where things will change. Because if I can convince someone from Adare to vote for someone who I think will make a difference at the governor, uh, the gubernatorial level, and we get it right together, yeah. then you see we are on the same boat. But if you believe the people from Adare will never vote the right person, yeah. then what are we doing? That's very, very compelling. Yes. So we'll, we'll just leave a problem to exist because we are accepted to leave it that way. But if we can join hands in a small, small things, then we can even change the bigger, mm. Mm. the bigger issues. And that has to do with the leadership because everything revolves around politics. No matter what we say, politicians drive, <coughs> drive our lives. Right now, Absolutely. we don't have a TV station which is not, it's not owned by politicians. So everything that we keep on watching will keep on touching on politics because those TV stations are owned by politicians. We don't have anything of our own that we can say, this is the only station that we can push our own agenda without politics. That's why people are no longer, every time I go to work and I hear people saying, I don't watch news. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't any sense because even if you go online you'll still come across the same topics so whatever happens online goes uh, to the mainstream so whatever mm-hmm. we we refuse to correct it will always come across so you, speaking of uh, you know having a free free press exactly uh, like you're saying a press and a journalism that is representative of the people you started Saudi tv somewhat recently tell us what Saudi tv is and what your goal was in establishing uh, Saudi TV is a mentorship space. I just realized how most of the time I'm on my own when I'm doing all these things. And I realized if I'll ever leave this field without showing someone else how to do whatever I'm doing right now, mm. I will never have achieved my dream or goals. I have personal dreams. I have personal goals. But there's those things that you want to do in your life and you feel happy after playing in that field or doing whatever you're doing. So to me, I felt like if there is something that I will be proud of is to mentor young people to be filmmakers, to be able to tell our story, to be able to tell their own stories. So this is a platform which also, to me, it's more like uh, sometimes everything that I do, they are most hard hitting, but it doesn't mean there's good stories out there to be told. So, so if you look on our, on our platform, Saudi TV, on Twitter, on Facebook, mm-hmm. we're just telling positive stories. 
Fantastic. That's so, so important. Yeah. So the positive stories are there and they need to be told, but it doesn't mean those negative stories can't be told. They are being told because there is a reason behind it. So Absolutely. Saudi TV is there to tell positive stories from the slum. So two, two quick questions. Give me one positive story that's really encouraged you from Saudi TV or elsewhere. Uh, please give us some, a bit of good news as we close up this interview. Uh, we did a graffiti and uh, we did it through a youth group, Madare Roots Youth Group. And it was one of these stories that you, you feel like we want to highlight. And it's about COVID. So when we did one, we thought we'll do like one and maybe two, three. Right now we've done more than, I think, eight graffitis. Fantastic. That of Yasin. And all this came through as filming and covering our own story and airing out there. And people will reach out to us and ask, what can we do? How can we help? And do you have another wall? I want to support that, the next graffiti. So it's through the small, small things that we do that took us to that level of where we did right yeah. uh, 10 graffitis. Even the bullet and the eyes, it's through South TV. So I shared some of the stories that the feminist, uh, the Madari activists were doing in the slum and some youth leaders. And when I, when I shared those links with the guys who were behind, uh, or at BBC, they looked at the story and they called me and they told me, can you personalize these Saudi TV stories? That's and fantastic. I was like, yes, I can do that. And it's through these free stories that we're doing that I was able to highlight the biggest stories that people are scared of doing in a small way. Oh, it's not a small way at all. This is exactly why black journalism matters because there's a story that only you can tell because as you've said, you're a son of this place, you're a son of Mathare, and there's, there's a way that you can tell the story that brings dignity and worth and value in a way that nobody else could, could tell it. So Thank it's, you. It's a small thing maybe in your eyes, but for me, it's, it's transformative and we need a thousand more Elijahs. So I'm so, I'm so excited about Saudi TV and I hope listeners that you will reach out to support their work. You can find them at Twitter at Saudi, S-A-U-T-I underscore TV. Last question for you, then I'll let you go because I know you have a lot of shoots uh, upcoming. What's next for you, Elijah? What's the story about Mazare, about Kenya that still needs to be told? Uh, we just keep our eyes open and whatever we do, we have to keep on pushing. So there are many stories that need to be told and all of them can only be told if we keep our eyes open. Mm. So we'll keep on watching, especially we've had a lot of funding coming for COVID. So that's something needs to be looked at because COVID is being funded from every corner. Is the money being funded going to do what it's supposed to do? or will it go to the people's pocket. So mm -hmm. there is something African Censored is working on and uh, it will come out soon. So Great. even the police brutality won't stop now. So we'll keep on pushing and there are things that need to be told until something happens. So we won't keep, we won't keep quiet and we won't slow down. We'll keep on going. That's fantastic. Elijah, thank you so much for being on Uproot today. It's, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. And I can't wait for this to be over so I can meet you in person and, um, and show my appreciation. But thank you so much for being on Uproot today. Asante sana for having me. I do yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, Karim. Bye. And be, take care. Be safe.
Thank you so much, Elijah, for being on Uproot today. I am inspired by your ethics, by your tenacity, and I will continue to follow your work. So thank you for being on the show and talking about why Black journalism matters. Listeners, if you'd like to follow Elijah's work, you can find him on Twitter at Elijah, E-L-I-J-A-H, K-A-N-Y-I. And I'd like to also encourage you to check out a couple of organizations in Mathare, his hometown. Mathare Roots is a community organization that supports youth and provides a place for them to meet and gather, exchange ideas, create art. You can find them on Twitter at Mathare, M-A-T-H-A-R-E underscore Roots, R-O-O-T-S, and the Mathari Social Justice Center. They have been at the forefront of recent activity in Nairobi around ending police brutality, but they are not new to the game. They have been working for years to hold our elected officials accountable and create more equity. You can find them on Twitter at Mathare S. Justice, M-A-T-H-A-R-E-S justice. We will all be protesting this week, in fact. On July 7th is Saba Saba, which has a deep history in Kenya of of a time to really amplify the voices of the poor and to push for greater representation and greater justice. So if you want information, you can follow any of those organizations on Twitter or myself at Uproot and Lil, and you'll find details of how to get involved. Thank you for listening today. I'm really excited to share with you another episode next week on a similar but related topic, um, why Black Sisterhood Matters. I think you're going to really love it. So subscribe, like, share Uproot. And as always, please do get in touch on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Uproot and Lil, L-I-L-L at the end there. And on Facebook at Uproot the Podcast. And of course, you can email me if you want to go old school, UprootThePodcast at gmail.com. As you face another week, friends, keep at it until it gets rooted. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Talk to you soon.